What's going on? This is Andy. And this is August. Hey guys, it's Liz. What's going on guys? This is Brandon. What's up? This is Dave. What's up? It's Logan and Kai. And you're listening to the Anti-Social Social Tour Podcast. Hello, who are you and what do you do? Hey, I'm Kevin Trudeau and I like photography. Let's get into it. Okay. I used to be anti-social. That was the whole me. But now I'm feeling social. And I think we should meet. I used to be a local. Young in the run in the streets. But now I'm trying to be a mogul. Before I D.I.E. What's up, what's up, world? It's Brandon Avery. I'm here today with Kevin. This is an impromptu um, podcast, which is going to be great. How are you today? I'm good. How are you? I'm pretty good. Can't complain. Um, you know, you inspired me, so this is how we ended up here. <laughs> um, but so he's here. He, he's oh, okay. Really quick. I know we're jumping right into it, guys. We normally do this a little different, but this is a great day. Um, so I met him a few weeks ago. Right. He came to the art, sh- yep. art show and we talked about cameras. You know, that's the thing. And it was a great conversation. I think we made like two hours probably. And um, right. we talked about film and how I did it like once or twice. And then he said, hey, you want a film camera? I'm like, uh, yeah, I'm going to get one. And he's like, what about one right now for free? <laughs> and I did. So that inspired me to go with some film. I've been shooting film and he's been helping me um, with this whole process. But I, I just told him the, last night that he's like a walking wiki page. So. Um, we started talking today and about developing the film that I probably screwed up and he's so reinsuring. And I was like, yeah, we should talk on the podcast because I don't want this one to go under under. So let's just pick up. Well, well how are you, man? I'm good. Uh, I mean, it's definitely a beautiful day out today. Uh, we have had some pretty tough weather here the last couple of weekends, but um, finally the uh, the sun's come out to play and it's not too hot. But um yeah, outside of that, like we're gonna develop some film here today. Uh, I've kind of walked through the uh, basic process of what we're gonna do, um, and we'll see if I can do that um, kind of live on the podcast here within yeah, reason. That's super dope. Now, okay, so now briefly, you were talking about um, we were talking about Zeiss and Leica. Yeah, can we run on that story about it again? How we got there? And sure. Okay, so uh, the the camera that Brandon uh, is using is a uh, like an older Pentax and. Something I didn't even know until recently was that you can use um, older M42 thread mounts on Pentax cameras. And for people who aren't like, you know, up to date on every fucking film minutia out there, <laughs> um, the uh, M42 mount was a mount that was used by a lot of manufacturers, including um, Carl Zeiss uh, previous to like World War II and then also in the Soviet era after the USSR basically took over the Zeiss factory. And um, sort of that led to talking about the history of some of the earlier um, camera manufacturers Mm -hmm. and how, like, they started not really in cameras. They started as optics companies, which surprises a lot of people, but it also makes sense when you think about it. Yeah. Um, Because, I mean, these companies existed... And had the, you know, the specialty glass necessary for making lenses. They had the tools necessary for grinding uh, elements that, you know, the shapes that exist within, like, a lens design. And they also just um, existed previous to film being a mass-produced industry. Because, I mean, really, if we look at the history of film, if we look at the earliest experimentations with... uh, uh, French people in like the 1820s to 1830s um, were talking about um, Jerusalem clay, 
which is a like a type of clay that is photo sensitive to a certain degree and then uh they would put that on uh like a metal plate and you would do like really long exposures you were talking like the first photograph uh that we know of i think it was like a nine and a half hour exposure wow and there wasn't even a lens it was simply a pinhole i was gonna say this it was like maybe like a hole in any mirrors i know just a pinhole and light in the sun with the clay and metal. Yeah. Wow. And then, like, throughout the 19th century, we had um, just a continued evolution of the technology. We moved through, like, metal plate photography, where you would basically put the uh, photosensitive chemicals on, like, a tin plate or a copper plate, mm-hmm. and you would do your exposure that way. And then we started to move into substrate photography, which is, like, what we think of as film. Like, um, I, it was, like, acetate early on. And, you know, I'm, I don't know everything here, so if I'm wrong, please fact check me but uh you know i'm going off of like pieces of information off the top of my head at this point i think we all do yeah yeah that's how we build the knowledge yeah. yeah 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 um and then you know you really you really look to a company like kodak who sort of spends a lot of time developing film as like a commercial standard mm-hmm. um and, and, and they really start to make standardized, uh, standardized film sizes, um, m- mostly large format, which was like, e- so now, like when we're talking about now with 35 millimeter film, yeah. um, it's a miniature film. And you basically do enlargements using like a uh, enlarger, or if you are like me or a lot of other people who work in film today, you use a digital workflow for that. But Traditionally speaking, um, at the turn of the 20th century, uh, large format photography was kind of the dominant form of photography because your negative would be essentially the size of your print. So Mm -hmm. you would make copies with a contact print. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you'd shoot an 8x10 negative and then you'd make an 8x10, like, positive of that and you could sell that photo or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's why, like, 8x10, 5x7, 4x5 were kind of, like, all really popular large format style and size uh, negatives at the time. And they also became kind of standard for, like, what photograph sizes we would would produce, even in, like, mini labs and things like that. Yeah. and obviously you could you could produce bigger with enlargement, but that was like not the common thing within photography at the time. So just those three. Mm-hmm. Wow. So what got you into film? Like, uh, like why did you choose this lane? Well, I mean, I, I work in digital too. Um, so when I was learning photography, I mean, I took, I, I, my mother was somewhat into photography. She took a few fine arts classes in college and like she did some of her own development and like, I had some shared interest with her in childhood with that. Uh, and then when I was in high school, I took, uh, I took a couple of photography classes. And of course, I'm, I'm pushing 40. So like at that point, we were still learning on film um, mm-hmm. because digital as, like, as a medium for photography was still pretty new. Yeah. And if you wanted quality in digital at that time, this was like 2000, 2001, the, it, it was very expensive and yeah. prohibitively so for like high school budgets and thing, things like that. So, I mean, I learned, I learned the process. I learned darkroom. I think that's a great skill. Yeah. Uh, especially, like, today's age. Like, for people like me, like, I, I think I stayed away from film more of a fear of, like, all the intimidation of the chemicals and just all the things, of the, of the patience I had to get. So, but these days, I'm like, I love that. I love, like, I get to, I have to wait for that shot and wait for that moment. I don't think I've ever would have seen myself, even when I'm shooting digital, I'm quick. I'm like, boom, boom, keep moving. Like, this, I have to, I had this, like, yesterday I was out um, at an event 
and I, I was, I was in line and it was just, I don't think I got it. I, I want to I show you what I wanted to get. Cause you'll like the next one came, but the, it was, it was a couple in front of me. Yeah. They were like, they must've just, I don't know if they were so in love for 20 years or, you know, the honeymoon stages, but they, they were like all over each other, but the line is so long. And then in between them, there was a young woman, like she was so beautiful and she was like right in the perfect frame. So I just stood there and, and I, and this is funny because like a week ago, I would never do anything like this, even with the digital camera. But I think because of the size of the camera yeah. and I was just like, I was like literally like they're here to me and I had the camera there. They, it didn't bother them. And that threw me off. Cause I'm like, they're, they're like kissing more now. I think they think I'm taking a picture of them, but I wasn't, I'm trying to get, there was another person blocking the girl. So I was just waiting like, Oh my God, please just move your head. I think there is a certain, uh, a certain invisibility or at least uh, people just kind of take you for a quaint weirdo if you're yeah. out with a film camera as opposed to the sort of freeze deer in the headlight effects that yeah. a larger professional digital camera kind of does. Yeah. Like people know that where it's like if they look back, it's like, oh, you've got an old silver camera. That's cute. Yeah. They, they, okay. Yeah. Whatever. It's like, like a superpower now. Yeah, yeah. To a certain degree. And I mean, like. That may not be as true now because obviously, like a lot more people have been shooting film in the last five years. I mean, we see it in the pricing, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think I think some of the other things that you touched upon is it it forces you to be intentional in a way that digital does not. Yes. And, and I mean, you can you can be that intentional with digital, but it takes a certain level of discipline, discipline. <laughs> which yeah. isn't like, you know, every everything that sort of exists within within a modern mirrorless camera is sort of antithetical to that. Like, yeah. you don't have to focus. Like, the algorithms are so good at this point that it's yeah. like, it's going to do a better job than you ever could. So manually focusing is not really necessary for most scenarios correct and i mean you know you you can you can have a, a a terabyte sd card in there and it doesn't matter how many shots you take and you can take 30 shots a second like yeah you can just go yeah Brrr, and we were used to this immediate <laughs> response so like i love that and i think that is something that growing up is is now i'm looking back as a problem because we want we want our food now we want this now we want everything now and then we again like i'm just speaking of the last week that i've had this almost well i think it's been a week that i had this thing it's like it's involved so much patience and I'm just, I've, it's like, it's meditation. It's like a form of meditation. So like I was looking on, I know I talked about exotic film yeah. uh, with you today. I'm online this morning, like <laughs> exotic film. And then someone was at b and I'm like, is that it? I want to show you them. I'm like, I got to talk. I asked Kevin, is this exotic or is it not? Like, I want to know. It was like cool packaging, but that does nothing, you know? Yeah. Um, well, the thing is a, a lot of those films will be repackaged. Um, some of them are like older Kodak lines that Kodak will occasionally make available, but not commercially. Like they can still run small batches of them. Yeah. And also like, motion picture film and a couple of European manufacturers in particular, like that's where a lot of that stuff comes from. As far as I'm aware, nobody is actually making any new film stock, like outside of a few manufacturers. So, eh, yeah. you know, who knows? Yeah. What's your, what would you say would be a go-to a black and white or color and why? I mean, <clears throat> if, if we're talking black and white, um, there's a few that I like. And it, it kind of becomes situational. Um, a lot of times now I'm shooting with uh, a motion picture black and white film from Kodak. Um, it's essentially called XX. It was, a, it was a commercial film previously. It was a precursor to Tri-X. It, okay. like, it came out in the late 40s. And they produce it still today. In fact, Oppenheimer, that just came out, was shot, the black and white portions of it, was shot on a, on a 70 millimeter negative of XX. Mm. Um, it's got a, just a really nice, um, 
gradient curve. Like you can you can pick up a lot from the shadows. It's a little lower contrast until you push it, um, and it's fairly cheap as far as like bulk loading goes. Um, which bulk loading for people who don't know is uh, essentially you can buy film in canisters at like you know B and H or your local film store, but you you can also buy uh, film in larger rolls. Um, sometimes 100 feet, sometimes 400 feet, sometimes 1,000 mm. feet. It really depends on uh, sort of the industry that it's servicing. And you can get um, daylight loaders and empty canisters and load film yourself. And for the most part, um, it's significantly cheaper, um, especially if, if you're leaning into motion picture film, which is you know a film that essentially is sold on large scale volume already mm -hmm. so there's some sort of discount built into that so like for example i can get 100 feet of xx for around a hundred dollars um and i can get about 1836 exposure rolls wow. out of that so i mean the 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 per cost roll is you know i'm not great at math Maybe here on 10. the spot but it's 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 under four dollars a roll Okay. Um, and, and that becomes significantly cheaper than commercial film. And, it's, now, and it's sold by itself. If you used to buy that type of film, it'll be $10, around $10 or more. Uh, I mean, there are a couple of companies that do uh, roll it and sell it. Um, Cinestill, in particular, is one that does that. They're, uh, they're sort of XX uh, line, both in 120 and in 135, is Kodak uh, X. So, I mean, you can check out pricing yourself. I think it's probably 8 or $9 a roll from them directly. So if you didn't want to do bulk loading, that's certainly a, a film stock you can check out in another avenue. Mm -hmm. And you said daytime loading? Like a daytime loader? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Is Sorry. that something yeah, similar yeah, yeah. to this? <laughs> no. So that that's uh, not that anybody else can see this, but I have a Patterson tank in front of me, which is a, a development tank for developing film. Um, it's sort of a light tight tank that you can put water into. But a daylight loader is a, um, a tool that you can put a roll film in, like a 100-foot roll of film, and it has basically like a gate that doesn't allow any light in. And okay. you, can, you can pull some out, and you can put a, uh, like a, a refillable canister on one end, and then you sort of attach it with tape, or some refillable canisters have like a mechanism that grabs the film itself. And basically you wind out until uh, you have as many exposures in that canister as you want. 36 would be the maximum, but most daytime loaders have like a counter. So, you know, if you just want like a 12 exposure roll, you can do that, which is great because sometimes you want to just shoot something really quickly and you don't want to have to deal with like, oh man, I got 36 shots I got to go through here. And it's like, I got to find something else to do before I develop this and Blah, blah, yeah, blah, that was blah. me the last two days. Yeah. So when you say a, like, so th this will be this is not a, of course not a refillable. They're they make them as like refillable like this. Yeah, and yeah. You so do, you kind of did the other day when you. Yep. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, you can actually reuse commercial ones if you're very careful with taking the top off, like I was the other day when I saved your roll. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but like the the uh, the actual purpose built ones often have like a screw top that will basically unscrew. Mm. And then you can pull out the, uh, you know, the internal reel and, uh, you know, attach film to it that way. Uh, a lot of people do reuse commercial ones um, simply because, like, you have them. You, nope. you, okay. you know, if you shoot film for a while, they end up, you know, just either throw them away or you can keep them. And if you're careful with taking the tops off, you can take them on and off a decent amount of times. I would say they get to a point where they start to deform and you have to worry about them being light tight probably after five or six times. But still hey, five or use. six times is still a good use. Yeah. Um, and it's also, 
if when you're developing, you leave a little bit of a tail left on there, you don't even actually have to like reopen this um, because you can attach uh, the film basically to what is left on the film. You can use like uh, a lot of people use masking tape or gaffer's tape. Like okay. it, 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 it doesn't need to be super strong, uh, but you know, that's one way to do it. Wow. Okay. And uh, before we get to the next thing, I, so what do you say your style of shooting is? I mean, I don't know. Like, it's it's a combination of things. I think ultimately, I'm just kind of interested in documenting my own life and yeah. people around me. So, I mean, candids are sort of a thing that I'm very much into. I wouldn't say like I'm particularly focused on what we would consider street photography, but I enjoy that too. Yeah. Like most of my body of output is people I know, people I work with, um, and you know, I get I get into up to some landscape occasionally. Uh, and like event photography, as far as like just things going on, going on around East End, I like to just walk around and shoot people. Like it's just people is sort of the driver and um, seeing a sort of naturalistic view of people just behaving. Like yeah. it feels it feels very true to life. I you get to document that. Mm-hmm. I want to take this moment to state that your personal work that you you stow away in your phone, right? That, <laughs> like because I went to Instagram, I'm like, oh, this guy's good, yeah. yeah. And then we were talking, and then you were showing me. I'm like, wait, I know I went on your Instagram. I, I didn't see this. And he's like, oh no, these yeah. are not Instagram, and they were amazing. So it's like it's like that artist hiding their best work or keeping it personal because you just said like yeah. your family, your friends, and things that are personal to you, and it really shows in your work of how attention to detail and that you do. So like, well, it, I appreciate that. Yeah, that that was amazing. Like, and we went through, I don't know, it's like, it like so many films we kept going through and it was like hit after hit after hit, you know? And I mean, it's a, it's not necessarily that I'm hiding them for privacy reasons. I, I'm just not much of a, I'm not much of an Instagram user. Yeah, don't worry, <laughs> like me neither. It, like photography ultimately is a thing that I do for me. It's not, it's not anything that mm. I do professionally and it's not a thing that I necessarily do for internet cloud or whatever. Um, so like, if I post something on IG once in a while, I post something on IG once in yeah. a while, but it's not, it's not a, it's not the main focus for yes. me. I love that by the way. And I envy yeah. that in the most the best way because it's, it's helping. Like, like I told you the other day, you don't know what you're doing for me and how the universe brought you into the world because I, I work, this is what I do. And it starts to fall out of love. So film is because I don't know nothing about it other than, you know, film, right. It's been such a great journey of like, it just this is something I can say, Oh, this is just for me. Like, yeah, I had the, I've been carrying that camera for two, two days straight <laughs> And, it, and just looking for things to like, it's, it's, I don't know how to explain it, but you get it because you've been doing it. But like, I'm like, this is, I don't feel no pressure to, to produce anything, to, to put things on the internet. Like you said, for, for, I only use Instagram for, because I have to, in a sense, yeah. no, I, hate, and I, get I hate posting on yeah. it. And like, I'm just like you, I'm going to post when I want to post and that's going to be it. But also like, I keep a lot of things off of Instagram because I am, I do hide my private life. Yeah. I have a lot of work with myself and my kids and things. I don't, that's none of their business, you know? Yeah. Um, but with that, with that thing, man, it's been like, it's just, it's, it feels, it feels so good. It just feels good. Well, I think, I think it, you know, it's a, it's a different tool to accomplish the same sort of thing. And it, it, with that, it comes with its own restrictions and, and those things can be, um, enjoyable if you're, if you have the right mindset about it, like it's not going to be for everybody. And I'm certainly not going to say, Oh, you want to get into photography. You should definitely start with film or, or everyone should do film photography. I don't think that's the case. I think it's expensive. I think it's niche to a certain degree. Mm -hmm. And I think it requires, um, a certain mindset and whether that works for you or not, is kind of up to the individual. I agree. Um, and like, I think the one thing that, um, 
really uh, really clicks with me, and I think also clicks with you with it is it allows you to slow down yes. and to be more intentional with yes. the way in which you want to uh, you want to take photos. Yes, um, and and I mean just. It's a different. It's a different enough experience that it sort of triggers the the lovely little dopamine channels in your brain. And yes. you're like, oh, I gotta, I gotta do this. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it does, it does, and it's yeah. so it's been it's been fun because it's like, like you said, it's it's it's, it's I have to be intentional. It's it's slowing me down, and we talked off your phone, <laughs> you know, it definitely slows me down. But even just having like I said to you, I said you have that camera with you everywhere. And you're like, yeah, and I said I have my camera with me everywhere too, but it's not on me. It's like in my bag or in the back seat, and I, I don't know. Like, and I always say, I always tell other new photographers, well, not not film, but new photographers, take your camera with you everywhere and, and shoot it. And here I am, I have it with me everywhere, but I don't have it on me. Mm-hmm. And I and I always think, and I'm like, well, if an event happened, you would have to run to the car or run where yeah. the bag is at to then go get it. You it's missed, the you missed, gone. you missed the moment. So like, just again, and I hate to keep bringing it up, but now that a, that thing is literally been glued to me. It just feels so good because I don't have I don't have a heavy payload like it's I don't have a bunch of stuff hanging from me and all that extra stuff I can just focus in and even just figure out focus. It's been helping me manual focus because I'm I wear glasses yeah. and I, we I rely heavily on um, autofocus when it comes to shooting client work especially. But over the last two years, um, I started going fully manual with my with the video cameras. I haven't gotten there with the photo cameras. Yeah. It's just, like you said, it's no point. They're, you're never going to be as good as it is. And it, ma- it makes, it makes sense with cinematography work because you don't want the focus breathing. And yes. You, want, you don't you want, want to that. control your pull. Yes. Like I get it. Yeah. And um, so like, even that was a big, but even that I had to prep, prepare up and prep myself for like three months. I, I brought the, the fully manual camera and I was so afraid to shoot it. So what I would do is I bring it with me on climb work and shoot a little bit of that, but I never expected to use it till I got so confident. I'm like, Oh man, this is, it, it, it comes with a lot, but it's, it's, it's worth it. It really is. It really is. Wow. Okay. So, well, and I, I think you touched upon something important there about like the sort of having the camera with you and you know, whether it's in the bag or not, like if you don't have it, then the moment is easily passed. It's and I, gone. Think, I think that's one of the reasons why, as far as like the sort of resurgent film experience with people, Point and shoots have been a really big thing, especially with the the generation beneath us getting into film. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's great, and I think it makes sense because um, you know you have a you have a very small camera at that point. You don't have to have a lot of the technical knowledge. You don't have to understand your exposure triangle. Yes. All of these auto features are just kind of built in. A lot of them even have a flash built in, yeah. so you can kind of just rock with it like you're there you're in the moment you can take photos of your friends you can take photos of whatever you're doing and um it's it's very easy and it's very easy to bring with you and i think that's the appeal for a lot of people and that's yeah. not really the exact kind of photography that i do but i appreciate and understand that same so because yeah. it gets more people shooting and it makes yeah. it more fun and i i know that i come from a time where it's like you, you better be all manual or you don't know nothing it's like mm-hmm. so even when i'm teaching workshops i tell people you have to start somewhere. You don't have to be all manual. Like you just not, it doesn't make you less of a photographer, you know, yep. as long as you can pose that image right and you and you build that confidence, you'll get there if you want to get there. If you don't, like you said, it's built in flashes, point of shoot. It gets more people out shooting and documenting the world. Yep. And I think that is more important, whether it's my style or not. So I, I love the way you put that. Well, I think, yeah, we're, we're going to get far afield here, but uh, so Joel Meyerowitz, uh, who's like a, a famous photographer, he's known for a few different things throughout his career. Like he did a lot of large format photography in um, uh, like the East Coast and um, also like in Tuscany. But he's also known previous to that as like a street photographer in New York. OK. Um, and he, I believe, uh, basically stated a quote or quoted 
as saying that he felt like the iPhone in a lot of ways was the most democratizing tool for imaging ever made. Mm. And like, I get that too. Like, so it's sort of an extension of what we're talking about here is like, in some ways, cell phones have created this ability of people to take imaging wherever they are at, yes. at, a, at a very easy level. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think that's great. I really do. Yeah. Um, and I, I think it, it, it creates sort of new avenues of experimentation and new avenues of just people being able to develop a sort of point of view with photography in a way that may may not have had access to. Because, I mean, let's not lie to ourselves. This is an expensive hobby, very no matter which way you yep. approach it. Yep. Yes, it is very expensive, and that's why I said. I also said to myself the other day, I think I have a hobby. I don't think I've ever had. A, I don't think I've ever had a hobby because I've turned it into a business. Yeah. So like with this, I'm like, I have. I've been so happy for the last couple of days. It's been <laughs> ridiculous, and I think that that's so funny because it's like I, I'm happy every day for the most part. It's kind of, I guess, it's kind of creepy at this point, but good. But um, but this is like it's like a new joy. Like oh my goodness, I, I think because I know zero about it, and I think that's like a, a great opportunity to learn. But yeah. I, I agree with the iPhone. It is. Some people don't like a lot of things, but it's like that is something that's really important because every frame that's frozen is a frame a, a frame in time, and that's why that's what inspires me about photography the most. So, like with film, it's like you're it's straight up raw. Mm -hmm. there, there's nothing. Well, now there's you know there, you can, there's some, there's system that allow you to post process, but we're talking about the strict film. It's like you get what you get, and then you and then you hope for the best, or you you know you have a good knowledge and you take that frame, and it's like you, you when you when you look at it, like I'm so excited to see what we fucked up, and I'm so excited to see what I captured because hopefully it did a great job. Um, but yeah, I love that part about it. And I think it's, it's just, it's just why I love, ah, I'm, I'm, I'm looking speechless for the first time, guys. That's crazy. <laughs> That's crazy. No, All right. no worries. Let's, uh, okay. So let's talk about what you have here, right? And even though you guys can't see, we're not videotaping because this was just literally, as we were talking, like we've been talking for the last week, it's been a great conversation. And I said, Hey, can we just like document this please? Because it's so, he's so, he's like, he's such, so, his knowledge is crazy. Um, so yeah, okay. So what do we have? So we so we have the two rolls, right? So I'll tell the story about the roll. I, I think I wrote I, the first roll. I thought I loaded it right. I'm shooting. I'm all happy. I'm like, hey, I finished the roll, and I didn't. I didn't take the roll. So he ended up saving it for me, and like he brought it back to life. So then I had two rolls again. Um, and then yesterday, uh, he showed me how to roll it back up. But you know, my brain is a little crazy, and I I thought I did it right, but I know I messed it up. So I think we lost a few uh, shots, which is okay because we got to learn. And then yesterday I was just, I'm like, yo, Kevin's going to be proud of me because he's coming on, he's coming on Sunday. He's going to be proud of me. So let's, so what do you have here and how are we going to develop this here at the social store? Like you don't need to, we don't need a dark room and all that crazy, cool, expensive equipment. How will we be able to do this? Screw with it. It's your boy, Samaj Savage. Hey guys, this is Sugar Wolf. Yo, this is Will Steasel. Well, hello there, everybody. <laughs> this is August. What's up? It's Ethan Ross, and you're listening to the Anti-Social Social Tour Podcast. Let's get it. Okay, so um, <clears throat> I, think, I think it's kind of a common misconception with people who don't uh, necessarily mess with film. Uh, and, you know, movies and TV have sort of like always shown people like within a dark room, mm -hmm. you know, you got the red light and all, all of the all of these enlargers and things. And like, don't get me wrong. Uh, the dark room absolutely has its place with analog photography. But really what dark rooms are used for is enlargement and making prints mm. uh, in a traditional non digital way. Um, and that's great. That, that is a that is a whole skill set of learning uh, on, on into itself. Um, but if you're like me or a lot of other people and you just simply do not have the space for a dark room in your home or apartment or you don't have access to a, uh, you know, a, a, a semi-public or community dark room, which shout out to places that do have that, um, 
and definitely look around for one if you're interested because those places need your business. A, you can you can sort of go about it in a, in, in other ways. Um, essentially, I have a you know analog photography that then converts over into a digital workflow. Um, so I do development of my own film and then I scan it. So what we have in front of us here today is sort of all the tools necessary for developing um, black and white photography. So we have a dark bag, which I know you can't see, but it essentially <laughs> looks like a it, yeah. It essentially looks like a t-shirt uh, without yeah. uh, a neck. Yeah. <laughs> and then at the bottom there are um, excuse me, there are two uh, two zippers to make sure that it's light tight. And where the arms would be, it's slightly elasticy if you can hear that. Um, so that way it keeps tight around your arms, doesn't let any light in. That allows you to work with the film canisters and expose the film and move them from the canisters that they come in to a reel that will go in a Patterson tank. And a Patterson tank is what's known as a light tight development tank. It's kind of like a cylinder um, that has a funnel at the top that uh, then goes through into the bottom of it and doesn't allow any light in, but you can move liquids in and out of it. Mm -hmm. And inside that, uh, that tank, you will find a couple of reels. Now they make these in multiple sizes. The most common is a two reel, and you can do two you know, rolls of 35 millimeter film or like one roll of medium format film. And um, they make larger ones. Uh, other companies make their own. Uh, there's a company called Jobo that makes really nice ones. Um, and there are, other, there are other manufacturers out there. But a basic Patterson tank is kind of like a, a very standard um, development tank. Um, beyond that, what we have is a little Ilford Photo uh, can opener for uh, film canisters. I love this. It makes it very easy opening commercial uh, film canisters. It's like 10 bucks. Uh, highly suggest it if you're going to be doing developing it on your own. You don't need it. You could literally use a pocket knife to pop those tops off if you feel confident. Um, <laughs> I just find that this is the easiest tool to do so. So I'm happy to uh, drop a, you know, a, a Hamilton on that shit. <laughs> and um, <clears throat> we have a a beaker uh, with measurements on it up to a liter in uh, milliliters. And this is important because as we work with our chemistry for development, we need to make sure that our, uh, our chemistry is the correct dilution. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of different um, developers that you can use for black and white photography, some of which are uh, essentially one shot where you don't have to do any of that math. Uh, that stuff is very easy and can sometimes be great for people who are just learning, but it's also tends to be a lot less economical. Mm. <laughs> um, so today we're going to be developing with uh, Rodinol, which is a black and white developer by a company called Adox. Um, it's highly concentrated, so we basically put something to the tune of like one part uh, of developer and like 25 parts of water. Um, and I will, you know, I will go through with Brandon here and like actually get the measurements uh, when we get to that step. But that'll probably be off the podcast. Oh, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so that's sort of like our first step would be to get the uh, the film onto the reels in the dark bag. And once we have that done, um, we would then rinse the film as like a pre bath. I normally do that for about three minutes. 
Um, the nice thing about black and white photography and the chemistry involved in black and white photography is this is all done at room temperature. Mm. You don't need any sort of special uh, like warming um, supplies or anything like that. Uh, it's pretty much all done in the assumption that you're going to be uh, doing this all at about 68 to 70 degrees. Okay. So the, the, the time necessary is, is very like uh, dependent upon that, that, that temperature. And you don't want to go too hot. Like uh, honestly, like it becomes an issue sometimes in certain places of the world where uh, if, if, if like the actual room temperature ambient is like in the high eighties, you, ha you have to adjust, mm -hmm. you have to adjust your time development. It ends up, you have to adjust, to less time development because of the heat difference. Mm. Um, but in most places, if you're working within normal climate controlled indoors, uh, it, it's all pretty much set to do that at like roughly 70 degrees. Mm -hmm. So uh, so now what, what inspired you, I guess, or either forced you to start doing your own development? Well, I mean, when I, when, I first, when I first got back into film, I didn't know that any place was actually doing um, development for uh, black and white photography. Mm. Like, I, I knew that you could still uh, send, send, it out. send in, you know, color photography at places and, like, you know, your Walmarts or your CVSs or whatever could, could do that for you. Mm -hmm. um, and, and also, like, it came down to when I had initially learned to um, shoot and develop black and white film that that's a part of the process too that I enjoyed. Um, and I, I think you'll like this too. Once we're done, I think it's, I think there is a certain magic to for like finally seeing the negative of the photo that you yeah. took and it never goes away. Like every single time I develop uh, a roll of film and I see it and it's there, it just feels like a little, like a little magic trick. Like, yeah. holy shit. There like, we look are. What I done. <laughs> yeah. Another question. Um, so I, I, I've learned the first time I got to film develop with the guy Ed down there mm -hmm. that, uh, why, why does color, why is color quicker to develop than black and white? So even when you send it out to certain places, they're like, it's going to take maybe three days or some places go two more weeks for black and white, but I'll do the color in three days. Why is that? Okay. So that actually touches upon something that's really interesting. Um, so color photography is essentially a standardized process. Um, almost all normal color negative film uh, that you will encounter uh, sold over the counter is processed by a chemical process called C41, okay. which was developed by Kodak. Uh, and it was developed by Kodak to be repeatable and to be very easy and for, you have to consider like the time period at which this was developed, film was everything, and basically 30 minute photo turnaround labs were the norm. Yeah, We don't live in that world anymore, but that that is essentially where the entire industry based itself off of. Um, so most places that you send to get color done at, at any lab that is going to have like the volume to do that kind of work are going to have an actual almost automated machine for mm. color processing. There's a few different companies that made, uh, made machines like that. Fuji, uh, is one Narita is another, um, Kodak also made some of their own for a while. And most of these places, even mini labs, like even places like, you know, they don't do it anymore, but places like your, your local pharmacy would have had, uh, essentially a, a big machine <laughs> that kind of looks like a, uh, kind of looks like a, like a, like a, uh, printer fax machine combo thing that you would see in a, in an office setting. Um, that actually does the entire development and scanning end to end. 
Wow, yeah. for color. Yeah, for color. Mm-hmm. Um, and even when you're doing color by yourself, which you can do at home, it just requires some specialty chemicals, and it also requires the ability to keep everything at a certain temperature, gotcha. which is higher than room temperature. It's roughly like 100 degrees Fahrenheit around there. And um, <clears throat> it's just it's just a much faster development thing. Where with black and white, there's no there's no automated way to do black and white. Mm. So if you're sending to a lab to do black and white, they're essentially doing what I'm doing here. Wow! So it's more time consuming. Um, and, and admittedly, they they have there are some machines out there that can do you know 20 rolls at a time. And you but ultimately you're still having to kind of manually process in a way that was never automated to the degree that color film was. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, that's, that's part of it. And also a lot of people who shoot uh, color film do different things with the film. Sometimes they, they like to push process, which is uh, like you know shooting it as if it were a higher speed film and then you have to lengthen your development time as a result of that. Mm-hmm. So this is all a consideration. And that's why like a lot of labs that you send away with will have like a slight upcharge for that Wow. Um, for processing, simply because they know that their development time is gonna have to take longer and they also won't be able to batch it with, um, you know, you know if, if you had 10 rolls from five different people of Tri-X and it's all shot at box speed, you can dev that all at once. Uh, Where it's like if you have one that's 1600, one that's 400, one that's whatever. Or you the gotta, one that's a 100 and then 400. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> so then you got you to gotta basically separate that out. Ah, um, because the time, the exposure time is different. Correct. Yeah, I'm learning. I'm learning. You guys understand. I learned nothing in a long time. This is this is this is great. This is great. Okay. Okay. So okay. All right. Wow. All right. So just like I didn't know, which I, which it should have made sense that the 400 on the film, like I, I never knew the numbers. I always wondered why, but I didn't. I'm not interested in it at the time, so I didn't care. And so you gave me the camera, and I'm like, I'm gonna set my. I'm like, I'm going outside. I can do my exposure to to, to 100, and, and, and nothing with registering. I'm like, that's. Why is why are the ISO inside the camera? I'm like that looks like a shutter speed. Like and then I you know finally figured it out and so we probably lost some of that. That's kind of exciting as well. I mean, with black and white film, like it has a pretty large latitude. So I think I think we'll be able to salvage um, that. And and what I mean by that is like <clears throat> it's something we touched upon in an earlier conversation. Um, so. With digital, we've sort of all gotten to the point where we're like, you, you gotta, you gotta get your exposure compensation set to preserve your highlights. You gotta preserve your highlights. You don't want to blow your highlights out. They're not going to be recoverable. Like you have to preserve your highlights. Yeah. We have so much ability to raise shadows on a modern digital file that we don't even worry about underexposure anymore. Mm. With film, it's the exact opposite. You, you have to basically expose for shadow, depending yeah. upon what you want to do. Like if yeah. you want to really contrast the image where your shadows are just inky black nothing, that's an aesthetic choice. Mm-hmm. But it's going to be inky black nothing and you will never be able to recover that. Mm. Whereas you can overexpose on film and it will be much more gentle at how it blows out the highlights. You will get some sort of glow and you will definitely lose contrast and lose some detail, but the recoverability of highlights on film is so much higher than a digital file so it's like you have to sort of step into the opposite thinking of what you're used to yeah in terms of exposure so you what would you would say what would be a recommended like over double overexposure two stops 
Uh, I mean, two stops is very doable uh, with uh, most films. I generally just overexpose one. Uh, I tend to like a pretty uh, a pretty contrasty image to begin with, anyway. Okay. Um, and like a lot of times, I'm shooting these days without a meter, so it's kind of in my head anyway. Yeah. So I'm just kind of trying to do a, a roughly one, one to two. Uh, but like you can definitely recover uh, highlights on stuff that's four, five stops over. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's not necessarily going to be the greatest looking photo, but it is uh, salvageable to a degree that that would be an impossibility on a digital file. Interesting. It's funny that you said you have, you have to like relearn certain things in the same tokens and remember that you have to overexpose. It's kind of like in film when we were shooting log for the longest, like you have to reprogram your brain because it should look washed out. But then if you've been doing it for a long time, you're like, I got I got to make it right. And then you make it right. And then you go to color grade and, and it's just, it's not good. So it's like, you have to go a little higher, at least two, two to three stops above. Wow. Okay. All right, that was amazing. So I have another ca another another camera. I don't <laughs> another question. You, how many cameras do you currently own? Enough. <laughs> <laughs> no, nah, it's not really that bad. I've actually I've actually like uh, downgraded some in the last year. Or so I don't. <laughs> I think I have seven, maybe eight. Wow. Um, and. Like I don't, I don't use all of them that much. I would say in reality, I use about four of them a yeah, lot. That's a lot still. Yeah. yeah. But I mean, that's a mix of both film and digital. What's your favorite film and what's your favorite digital that you currently have? Oh man, that's tough. Um, so I, I think we touched upon this briefly, but I, yeah. I'm definitely, I'm definitely a like a guy. Um, and that, that comes with both pros and cons. Uh, it, I, you know, I can't sit here in front and say that they're not overpriced. They absolutely are, yeah. but they offer sort of a user experience that is different than anything else. The Apple of the cameras. Eh, yeah. Kind of. Yeah, overpriced, yeah. but yeah, they, yeah, it's, yeah. A user, it's a user experience for the real Apple heads. Yep. So that's why, I, cause I can't go anywhere and they're, they're, they're taking, they're taking everything we got. <laughs> yeah. So I, I mean, my favorite film camera and again, it's, it's situational. So like of, of all the stuff that I've ever owned, um, you know, I, I I currently keep and love a uh, a Leica M2, um, which is you know it's a it's a film rangefinder from the fifties. Um, it's still going strong. It's a fully mechanical camera, and I I have no no fears that this camera will outlast me and probably my children. Wow. <laughs> That's amazing. Uh, and I mean, part of that is they was, you know, the, the, the company itself produced very similar cameras for such a long period of time um, that there are a large amount of available parts. Mm. Um, there is very limited complexity in a fully mechanical camera. So, you know, there's no electronics to go bad. Your meter is not going to die. Uh, the e-shutter, you know, like in a lot of like late film cameras have electronically controlled shutters, mm -hmm. is not going to die. And I don't have to worry about sourcing 40-year-old uh, completely out-of-stock electronic parts because that's not in there. It's literally gears. The reality is, is if it actually got to the point where gears wore down and were destroyed, there's enough spares that you could, if you wanted to spend the money, have it serviced. And I honestly think that Leica collectors are so insane that people will eventually just make gears and parts for it if they have to. Yeah, yeah. The Leica, the Leica crowd is, you guys are insane. Yeah. So you have about eight. You you shoot about four. What is the most cameras you had at one point? Uh, prob probably like <laughs> probably like twelve. 
Like not that much more. Yeah, right. Not 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 yeah. not too crazy, right? Just twelve, right? And, okay, so I mean, you know, you've you've seen you've seen a couple of my nice cameras. Yeah. The, the reality is, is like out of those other ones, like there were plenty in there that were not particularly expensive or even like anything. Like I mean, the Pentax is a, is a perfect example of like. Yeah. Sometimes I just got orphans. Like it. Oh happens. my god. <laughs> You you, orphan, like people yeah. are like, oh, you're into film photography. I have this old camera. I'm yeah. not doing anything with it. Here, you have it. Yeah. So you know, and, you, and, you, you, and it's, so it's like the thing. You pass it down. You just did it to me. So you're yeah. telling me I'm gonna end up having like 12 cameras in the year and have to do the same thing. I mean, that depends on your psychology and your budget. Hey, I, I have a very impulsive. <laughs> uh, I'm like I'm very impulsive, but also like this. This I feel like this is a new form of meditation with no pressure for me, and I really love that right now. I, I really do. Like I think it's just like yeah. It's, yeah so I can. I, I'm sure I'll probably get a ten, a bunch more, especially when I learn this. Like when, once I'm past this stage here, oh man, it's gonna, I don't know what's gonna happen, guys. Yeah. No, no one's gonna be able to hire me no more. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, you know, as far as some other cameras that I've had in the past um, that I really enjoyed, uh, as far as like medium format uh, film photography, I, I had I had a Roloflex for a while, which is like. A TLR, and for those of you who don't know that what that is, is it's a twin lens reflex. So it's basically like two lenses stacked like on top, top of each other. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yep. Um, and one is your taking lens, and one is your viewing lens. Um, and they were able to make uh, medium format cameras very small mm. as a result. Like the Roloflex is amongst one of the smallest, like six by six uh, negative cameras that exist. And six by six is like a, a, a style of um, medium format negative. So medium format film comes on 120 rolls and um, then the camera sort of decides as to what the size of the negative is. So there's mm. medium formats that are like 645, there's 6x6, there's 6x7, there's 6x9. There are even technically panoramic medium format cameras that are like 6x12. And with six by six, you're basically shooting a square, and that was a that was a really interesting experience for me because like all of my experience, both in, in 35 millimeter and in digital, previous to that, is sort of the standardized three two yep. like rectangle. Mm -hmm. So you have to think differently with uh, with with shooting six by six, um, sort of like. You don't have to really like you could you could treat it as if it isn't a square and yeah. basically you just you just then can crop and that is kind of one of the reasons why like Hasselblad um, was always so successful in um, in like fashion photography mm -hmm. because they didn't have to invert the cameras. Yeah. So if you wanted to do if you wanted to do like you know a portrait shot or or a uh, landscape shot, you could still have it mounted on the exact same tripod, mm -hmm. and then you just crop and post. Yeah. Um, and because of the fact that you know you were dealing with a much higher resolution six by six negative, you wouldn't lose quality as a result of that. And and I, I mean that's not the only reason, but that is definitely one of the reasons why, like the five hundred from Hasselblad kind of became de facto. Uh, equipment for like high fashion, fashion photography, mm -hmm. and things like that. Yeah. So, what would you say would be? Um, uh, uh, I guess the the first question would be the most overrated camera brand to today, in your opinion. I I mean, 
like I, I, you, you have to like, you have to like look at it from the fact that nobody makes a bad camera anymore. Like that's true. So that's very. Oh wow, that's that was a very good answer. That's it, very true. It, yeah, it, and that's preference. Yes, like we've gotten to a point where where digital is not advancing in the way that it was, say, 20 years ago, yeah. where it's like, you know, each new generation and each new sensor offered significant gains in things like dynamic range and resolution and things like that. We're at the point where it's become trivialized that it is almost like, it's it's just like an expected consumer good at this point. Yes. Um, so, I don't know. Like, I, I, I'm not. I'm not. <laughs> I, I see. I see the use in pretty much in pretty much everything that's out there, and it all depends on like what system is going to work for you. Yeah. Um, are Are there systems that I don't personally think I would use? Yeah, most of them. Like the reality yeah. is, is like I don't. I don't. I don't shoot video, so that's not like a thing that I'm going to be looking for when I look at a camera. Yeah. Um, and while I like absolutely see Sony as like amazing for the technical stuff that they do, I don't particularly jive with their cameras that much. Mm-hmm. And it comes down to, I don't like the way that their um, menu systems are set up. They're mm-hmm. incredibly mm-hmm. complex yes, very and they so. have to be. And I understand why they are, but that also is an impediment for me for actually just getting out and shooting. Yeah, um, I have a preference for, as minimal a camera as possible. Like get the most amount of stuff like away from me, the camera and the experience of taking the photo as humanly possible. Wow. Um, and, and I mean, that's kind of the reason why I've gravitated towards Leica over the time period. Cause they're, they're essentially very There's, good at that. You know, it's funny. I think you answered a question um, that I've been asking, I guess like my buddy. So I, re- I remember in a previous conversation we talked to, I said, my buddy is like, so he's just, he'll pick up any camera. Yeah. Like the confidence of like any camera, any brand he'll shoot with. And I always say, bro, like that is, that is insane. But I think you just answered it when you said like, it's, it's the user experience. And it's like, also like, Everything has an uh, every camera has their strengths and mm-hmm. their use depending on the use. And I think that for you, like even you having multiple different camera brands, yeah. um, film or digital, it doesn't matter. That's a, that's like the same thing that he does in a sense. It's like there's an oh I'll pick it up. It's a camera. Like I'll pick it up and see if I like it or not, or if it yeah. have any roadblocks or or if, if it does what I needed to do. That's it. Versus the new world order where people are I'm gonna say just riding their brands. And like, I'm one of the guys, I, I will ride a brand until the day it dies because in my world it's easier that way mm-hmm. versus going to learn a new ecosystem. Instead and that, of looking, that makes sense. Yeah, but instead of, no, because like it, it makes sense in a sense of like you're just, you're doomed because you're just there. Like my, my theory is, oh, it's not broken, don't fix it. I'm not trying to go over there and look for something simpler because I don't want to even see if there's something simpler versus going, well, let me see their menu. Cause like you said, Sony menu, I, I, I was forced to Sony, you know? Yeah. And, and to this day, I still hate their photos. <laughs> like I, I don't care how good people think I am with the camera. I hate their photos. I do not like it. As far as video. Yeah. They're Sony. I'll win. I'll go with that all the time, but photos, I hate it. But as far as like going out of the ecosystem, it's like, I got to learn a new menu system. A lot of the camera menu systems are a lot to learn. And it's like, I don't got time for that. I'm just going to stay here. It's not broken. Don't fix it. Versus like just even tapping in like that new knowledge of like, I would I would buy overpriced a Leica for the simplicity of it's going to get the job that I want done and it's not going to have me get a headache to try to get through the menu or, or the, the technical stuff. So I think that's a great way to put it, man. Well, and I mean, you also have to consider the fact that your um, 
your motivations for gear are different than mine, as is everybody's. Yeah. And it, it's like if you're working in a, in, a, in a sort of professional environment where you're making money off of the things that you do, switching makes very little sense yeah. because you are, you, you are very, you've already invested a large amount of time in becoming competent with the gear that you have and within the system and ecosystem and spent a lot of money within that system yeah. to <laughs> get the gear to, to do that. And the reality is, is what does somebody else offer you that's vastly different or vastly better? And the answer is not much yeah. because basically all of these cameras at this point are yeah. extremely capable. Very much so. That's, that's very much so. Wow. Wait, look, man, this was a great conversation. I, we're going to keep going on, but I don't want to keep going on with the mic because we have work to do. I will. I can't wait to hear yourself on the podcast. Like you're, you're, you are, <laughs> you are natural. Right, and like, man, if you ever want a segment on just talking cameras, that's amazing because this is like a step in history. I, I tell people everyone should do a podcast. You know, I, I do it because I enjoy it and I, I love to talk to people I want to talk to. And I want a record for that partially because I have a fear I'm going to forget when I get old. I don't know. Like I, I do a lot of hmm. things like intentionally now. I'm like, if I forget when I get old, I can play it back. But also just to get that experience of the, another human conversation and to learn a lot. I've learned a lot every time you speak. And I think that's just been amazing. It's been an amazing week for me. Um, so let's, let's, yeah, just where can we find you? Uh, Meaning like your Instagram, so uh, your handle. So that's what they ask. This is called, it's I'll called a handle now. Honest, right? I don't really know what my handle is off the top of my head. I think it's at Mr. Ty. Mr. Ty 84. <laughs> yep. Mr. At Mr. Ty 84. That's how little I use Instagram. <laughs> Which is a great thing. I always tell people, people who are off, off the internet a lot are blessed, right? Mm -hmm. And the same same thing with me. Like I'm, I, I check in morning, yep. afternoon, if I'm not running my mouth, right? And then in the evening. And people, for it means something I can say this over and over throughout the day, they don't get that. I'll get a, like, I'm not checking. I'm not going, I'm living life in the real life. Oh, yeah. And then I'll give you guys a little bit of what I can. But because we're, we're zombies now at this point, and we don't know, we can't even have a conversation yeah. like this with anyone. Like, and so that's what, like, just, oh man, just talk to me. This is not our last conversation. Anyone listening to the podcast knows that's not my last conversation. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, so Mr. Ty84 on Instagram, you, you, you'll definitely see the post because we're going to put this up. And for all my photographers that are digital, and and with uh, analog, you're gonna learn a lot from this. Which if you haven't already, and just I mean, I don't want to send people your way, but tap him. He's he's like a, it's like a wiki page, and I just can't wait to see what we do today. So yeah, and I mean, don't get me wrong. I I don't think that Instagram is is a is a negative or or anything like that. I actually follow a lot of people on there, and I, I get a lot of inspiration from photographers that I follow. And I also keep in contact with friends and family on there. It's just posting is not really a thing for me that much. Same. So you will not see me that active on there. Same, <laughs> same. I appreciate you, man. Thanks for coming out. Absolutely. Peace.